Welcome to the Kitchen Table Podcast, where the table comes in all sizes, shapes, and styles. Join Kyle and Seth as we explore the journey of food from our field to your dinner plate. The one guarantee is that there will always be a seat for everyone at the kitchen table. Welcome back to another episode of the Kitchen Table Podcast. Kyle, it's great to see you once again. Uh, Certainly a lot to get caught up on here over the past week. It feels like it's been a long time since you and I had chatted and, and really had the opportunity just to speak to one another. I know that over the past week, week and a half, you and I have both went many, many different directions and met with many, many wonderful people all across our great country. And and uh, it's certainly refreshing to be able to see you um, joined, uh, joining the kitchen table again on an incredible morning uh, in which we can kind of collect our thoughts of how the last week has went. Kyle, I kind of want to jump right into things, to things this week and really talk about what is... Um, what is your impression in one word of agriculture in your area, whether that's family, whether that's farming, whether that's anything that is just at the top of your mind? I think I'm going to go with the word anticipation. Um, as we think about Christmas coming up, um, a new year coming up, it's just a time of anticipating kind of a, a lot of things, right? We've got this uh, in our neighborhood. We have, we've put up our Christmas tree, we've put up all of our lights, and everything that goes along with that, with the family. And as a dad now of four, my wife and I, my wife usually schedules a night where we can kind of get all the Christmas stuff out. And the kids are really finally, they're really getting to an age where the anticipation is just um, unreal. It's just uh, super, they're, they're so excited. And it, it's, actually, it's actually motivating to me because as a dad, sometimes you're with little babies, you're the one always carrying, carrying the boxes up, getting the tree. And sometimes you're just doing the heavy lifting. And, and our kids are kind of getting to that age where they're really helping, they're just loving it, and they kind of bring you some motivational energy. So that's anticipation for Christ's birth. That's, that's where we're at. So how about you, Seth? I, I'm, I'm going to go right along the same lines in terms of what the Christmas season means to me, because when the holiday season is in full swing, we roll right from Thanksgiving and then uh, and starting to get ready for Christmas. But my word for the week is going to be refreshing. And um, I'm recently returned from a uh, leadership development course that I am a part of for about a 10 month, 10 month long process. And it's fun to be able to sit and meet with, with other professionals from various industries. And it's uh, it's pretty cool because a lot of us are at about the same age in life and have a, have certainly a diverse and different uh, background set of background experiences and man the talent that sits around that room is uh, is absolutely incredible. I feel honored to be a part of this group because these individuals are absolutely brilliant. 
they're solid minded. They're just high quality individuals and their backgrounds are completely different than mine in a lot of cases. And, and so it's pretty cool. And it's, it's very unique because it's a uh, leadership development program that is put together by Michigan State University. And it brings in individuals from the agricultural sector, it brings in individuals from the public and regulatory sector, it brings in university individuals, and then it brings in private industry sorts of folks. And the whole goal of this organization or of this training program is for the better good of of Michigan residents and for the better to try to better our local communities and to try to improve the resources and the opportunities for residents within the state of Michigan. And it's, it was pretty cool because this, uh, this program focuses on, on different segments of the agricultural or excuse me, of the economy within Michigan. And this past week, the one focal point was agriculture. So I got to share my passion of agriculture with individuals who had never, or who don't necessarily work with agriculture on a daily basis. And what a chance for me to be able to share my passion with them. And then in turn, they've been able to share their passion with me and some of the other aspects that we've been, that we've been working with. So always is fun to look at different opportunities like that and certainly never leave a stone unturned in terms of trying to improve your personal well-being and then certainly from a community aspect or a community approach wanting to look at that. Seth that's actually my week was it's not as focused as that type of thing but we did have the Nebraska Farm Bureau conference this week and there is kind of uh you talked a little bit about uh getting relaxed and and kind of reset and learning and being with a network of people that are productive minded and, and moving forward and wanting to be on the same team. And, and I can kind of, kind of see that in my week. And I just remember thinking this week that, you know, these are my people. These are, these are the, the people that I want to do career with, spend time with the families, the, and, and for you, for those of the, of you that don't know, uh, Farm Bureau is a large ag organization, uh, county, state, and national leadership advocacy um, group. They, they technically aren't a political group, although they do, they do have a lot of influence in terms of, of that abroad. So, and they're, they're by and large the largest agriculture group. So it's, it's a really fun group and their focus really was to how do we collaborate with the food production, the distribution, transportation, all the people that are maybe not directly tied to production ag. There's really seems to be a hand reaching out from both, both sides, so to speak, and so that, that was really neat to see. And um, so that's, yeah, I can totally agree with you on, on this week. I, I think this time of the year is a great time of the year for, for those types of travel events, educational events. And then where yours is a totally focused program, that's, that's uh, very neat. It also should be said for a lot of people, and this is more of a tongue-in-cheek comment uh, for all of our listeners around the country, the holiday season also brings meeting and conference season. And so literally 
you can be getting done with one conference on a Sunday, knowing that in the following Friday, you're going to be going to a conference. And there was a couple of years where some of the work that Kyle and I had done with uh, many, many others on the National Young Farmer and Rancher Committee, where literally we would get off of a plane on Monday, knowing that we were flying out on Thursday afternoon for a different conference to talk about agriculture and then the importance it represents to our national our national heritage and our national economy and and Kyle painted a picture about the Farm Bureau organization and some of the work that they do and and the Farm Bureau organization is a 100 year old organization that really focuses on on the economic and personal interests of over 5 million farming families across the country and one of the most important aspects of that organization is to is to create opportunities to basically feed a growing population. And some of the staggering facts are is one in five. And uh, I say one in five because as we're in the holiday season, we have to understand that one in five of our children nationwide are going hungry and are, and are not sure of where their next meal is going to come from. And that's one of the aspects, so one of the building components that Kyle and I have always tried to, to focus on a little bit is we sprinkle in uh, some, of the, some of the dad influences, whether it be new dad, middle-aged dad, or dad bods, but the underlying factor is always a care for the children within the borders of our country, and certainly certainly the children within the realm of the entire world where, where we do feel like we can make a positive impact with um, providing healthy and nutritious food. You mentioned food security, very interesting topic. That was I was at a at a conference here recently in another state, and that seemed to be the theme. Was and th- it was a Farm Bureau conference, and there was really a push to reach out as that that state group to talk about food security and the things that they are doing to bring production agriculture to kind of go beyond the norm and and reach into the larger community, in this case, just of, of America and into the cities of America, and really try to figure out uh, kind of kind of what, where is the food insecurity breakdown. And as you were talking, just something popped into my mind was kind of sometimes uh, I'm just going to say mental health can can have some to do with it. I, I would say mental health and distribution, both of those, because sometimes we we don't always want to accept help. And meaning we might not want to accept a way to provide food for a larger audience or a certain audience. And, and it's sometimes because we don't always know that pathway. And that's where I think you come back to these meetings and conferences. I think you can learn. I've been told before that frustration and anger is a symptom of a lack of knowledge. And so if you think of that quote, that when you get frustrated with something, if we're in production ag and we're frustrated that food isn't getting fully to everybody or fully to the right places, and we we are frustrated about that, we need to figure out why. We need to educate ourselves and really dive deep. And and that's what this state was doing. They were, you know, they're really going into the city and finding out where the breakdown is and where agriculture can fit into those cities. 
And they're doing it through meetings and conferences. And again, this time of the year in the winter where there's less going on outside, there's uh, you could, you got a lot of opportunity to meet and network and learn from each other. So I thought that was a, a very interesting take home uh, over the last couple of weeks. The heart of the, these conferences a lot of times is centered around food. And it's like literally having a, a Thanksgiving feast every single weekend. So it does not do well for your belt line usually. Uh, and by the time we get to the Christmas holiday or the New Year's, e New Year's holiday anyway, you're certainly kind of ready to be done with banquet food and eating with, uh, with a couple of hundred other people. And it, but it's, but it, Kyle is right. I mean, it is an opportunity to talk through some of the key issues. And that's one of the things in this, in this leadership group that we're doing is how to establish the relationships to, to, to establish common ground, because one of the most important thing, things in life is that we have to have an open perspective of, of other people. And, and never will I be able to live in the shoes of someone from a completely different background than what I have. But if I have an understanding of their, of their angle or what their thought process is, it, it really goes a long way. And I say how fun that, that leadership program is, and, and it's an outstanding opportunity. But I thought yesterday, I had about an hour and 45 minute car ride home yesterday. And, and I just got, was thinking about it the entire time about some of the different interactions and some of the different people that I had had the, that we had conversed with. And I just dawned on me just how tired I was. And it was because I believe when I go to one of those functions that I have to operate at a peak level for the entire time. And that's because I want to engage and I want to create and I want to work with individuals from all over, from all these different backgrounds. And it just, by the end of the week, I'm just beat. I'm really tired and it takes me a couple of days to decompress. And so I'll spend a lot of today just kind of creating notes about the conversations that were had. And then be able to bring those notes back to when we meet again in January. And so we meet once a month for this for a couple of nights, about three days, two nights. And I hope that we can really drive towards real, real positive change. Uh, and I think that that would be really important and absolutely key. You brought up uh, Beltline, and I just wanted to comment on that. It, something popped into my head here that, you know, if our Beltline is growing at too rapid of a rate, we probably ought to start thinking about food insecurity, like thinking about other people, thinking about, uh, and you also mentioned new dad, dad bod, which we can all uh, accommodate that, especially this time of the year going into the holidays, coming off of Thanksgiving. But those types of, uh, it, it just kind of made me think of like, exchanging the way we think in the fact that sometimes we just like to talk about problems and we don't we don't really take that next step the other thing about those conferences meetings do you have any tactics or tricks Seth that you do when you're networking at one of those because you you talked about how you get kind of you're just tired by the end of it and I know your personality and I know you go hard do you have any tactics or tricks that you do at at those networking events to kind of maintenance your motivation and, and keep, keep going all through the day and all, and no matter how many days there are just to keep you fresh 
let me back up and when we talk about um, the holiday season and the belt lines, first off, I've always been told it's not what you eat between Christmas and New Year's that makes a difference. It's what you eat between New Year and Christmas that really has a bigger impact on your belt line. So keep that in mind. It's what you would eat the other 357 days out of the year versus that seven-day stretch or seven-day window. My tactics within trying to meet and greet and network with new people is I really try to seek individuals out that let's say if I walk into a room that there may be people around, I kind of try to make eye contact with someone and walk in and be able to create a conversation. And one of the things I was told in agricultural sales class from the time I was in high school and then in college is you have about 30 seconds to make an, an immediate rapport or to establish rapport with someone. And so some of the very first questions I may ask have to deal with anywhere from, can I get them a drink to how's your family to anything that I know that I can get a conversation piece. And then I try to create a relationship that's just, that maybe built on the fly and built within the moment. But I feel it's really important because people want to have the opportunity to talk about themselves a lot of times. And I understand that my personality is different than most people's sometimes because for me, a comfort zone has always been meant to be stepped out of. And I think that tangible results or tangible change create is created by, by expanding your horizons and not, not living within your comfort zones. And, but at the same time, I have a wife who does not do that. And her approach in a room is to be sincere, to be authentic. And I'm not saying I'm not authentic, but she's sincere and she's incredibly heartfelt and incredibly authentic when she's having these conversations. And so she does not enjoy going and networking with people. Um, but then people seek her out because of the high, high quality character that she is. So it just, there's different philosophies for everyone. By day three, it's uh, dig deep and just enjoy, enjoy each other's company. The one thing I was try, I try to do is um, I get a workout in every single day. And so for this week, what I had done is I worked out two mornings in a row. Um, I guess I worked out one morning and one evening, the evening I got there and then the, the following morning. And uh, just to try to clear my head, um, I try to stay hydrated. I drink as much water as I can throughout the course of a day. And then uh, at the same time, I try not to overindulge with the food that may be at hand. And so I try, like, especially for lunches, I try to eat light, eat a salad. Uh, never, I don't typically eat any dessert. Uh, just, it looks wonderful and it looks outstanding. But I, I know that right after lunch, I have a two o'clock drag. And that two o'clock time period is really, really difficult for me to make it through every single day without falling asleep. So I just eat light and try to keep on the move. Boy, I hope everybody had a had a notebook and a pen in front of them. Seth, that was excellent advice altogether. I mean, unbelievably good tactics. I actually wrote down some of those and some of them I do as well. I thought it was interesting that you talked about your your wife and and her not wanting to overdo the the conversation for the full day and th that kind of speaks to personality I think too and and I probably assimilate a little more with her where I'm I'm looking for kind of that 
that go deep. You and I have had that conversation of really going, going deep in a conversation. And that's just how some people are wired. I've always, I've always saw you as more of a host where you can, you could kind of talk to anyone anywhere about anything. And that's such a gift, especially just getting to know you uh, through the digital network of this podcast. And it's just been a really, really neat thing. That's a, that's a scary thought that I am a, am a high quality host. And, and I got to tell you a couple other things um, as we shift gears here and start talking about, start talking about agriculture and what, uh, and what that means for the Christmas season is I went on a farm tour actually yesterday. And I don't, I don't know who owns the farm. I don't know a lot about it. I'm actually going to study it today. But it was a farm um, under the name of Revolution Farms in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it is essentially a multi-acre greenhouse that's underneath of all, all underneath of one roof. And they produce um, leafy greens, lettuce greens, vegetable sorts of products that can be grown with hydroponics. And I was blown away at the level of technology that exists within that facility. And then the, the, the way in which they're managing their products. And it was, it was absolutely amazing. And picture an acre worth of water in a concrete, basically a concrete pool. And it looked about like an acre in size that had floating styrofoam mats with um, heads of lettuce growing on these styrofoam mats and the roots were going down into the water. And they were, so these plants would spend like two weeks in a growing bed and then they would get put into these, this hydroponics system. And then over the course of the next three weeks, I think is what they were saying, or four weeks, those plants would grow and then they would pull these styrofoam mats out and they'd harvest them. They'd harvest that lettuce. And it was a very mechanized, there's two aspects. One was very labor intensive, one side of the building. And then you went over to the other greenhouses and it was very, very mechanized and blown away. Is, is how I'll say it, because I am a farm kid from Southern Michigan originally and spent a lot of time in production agriculture. I have never seen a greenhouse that was, that was created and established like that. And it, it's going to take all types to make the world go round when we have to feed a population or growing population. But that's just one component that I just, it was unbelievable. It was incredible to look at and I'll be really curious to see how they, how they stay current with the times and from a technology aspect, especially as some of that technology gets aged and worn out and the replacement costs that also will be associated with it. But just the, the ingenuity was incredible. You touched on a couple things. I mean, just think of the future professional worker. I, I truly believe that agriculture is going to collaborate with technology, which is going to also collaborate with distribution and transportation and retail because of what you're talking about, this, this automated kind of technology world in agriculture is going to come whether we like it or not. And it has, it has to do with hydroponics and, and all of these smaller um, specialized types of industries as well. And so kind of my thoughts on it are, I guess we better adapt and keep learning because I don't, I don't always feel equipped to, to manage the current technology. So I have to kind of 
tell myself, go to my mind and just say, okay, you got to learn something new this week or today. And just to continue that education on the farm and reaching out to, to things that you're looking into and, and those types of things. Well, it's interesting. You talk about technology. Lindsay sent me a message the other day uh, about just about how there are farm groups from around the country that are that have worked with the game Minecraft. Now, my daughters like to play Minecraft on their iPads, but they they have created farming games for Minecraft as a way to reach out to a younger generation from a technological aspect. And one of the important things that we have to talk about sometimes is while farmers only make up less than 2% of the national population in the state of Michigan, agriculture represents anywhere from 23 to 24% of our state's workforce. And so the more exposure that some of these individuals have at a young age uh, potentially helps with our talent pool long-term in terms of employees, employers, and then individuals that are committed to a career and a profession that we really, we really need those sorts of individuals. So Minecraft, our kids are, have off and on got into that. And, and as parents, sometimes we feel like our answer tends to be no more than trying to learn. Like we, like if they come up with a new YouTube or a new game, new this, new that, that's just like we can't keep up with it as parents. It doesn't feel like, and we need to, I, I know I need to do a better job of learning because I want to be proactively saying, yes, that's healthy. Yes, that's good. Yes, learn that. Yes, like just like you're talking about, if this, this game slash YouTube program is starting to move into farm food production type things, it, it could be a good learning tool. It's kind of like my my default response is, is to say no. And I've always thought it was interesting mind craft and my kids have explained it to me a couple, but when I first heard about it, it was like, Oh, okay. So this new game's going to craft their mind because I'm not doing a good enough job at it <laughs> as a parent, as a dad, as a young dad. And so it was just, it's just interesting. The, the things you go through that, I never used to think about them so deeply that my parents went through where we were starting to get video games for Christmas and different things that were crafting our mind at a young age. And I want to be open-minded. I want to have a, a very open mind to those things. But sometimes, like I said, my, my quick response is, is not always the best. So you touch on Christmas and what that represents and talking about crafting minds. And so that, that kind of brings me to a point to really shift gears that I want to focus on for a couple of minutes. And it's because the Christmas season and the holiday spirit is among us. And some of the, some of the things that embody Christmas absolutely more than anything is obviously spending time with holiday over the holidays with family and then the gathering and the feasts and then understanding the some of the religious aspects that go with it for for many individuals but when we look at symbols and symbology that those are always things i like to look at then too and nothing embodies christmas to me more than the christmas tree and i love seeing christmas trees pop up all over the countryside 
whether you're driving down the interstate and someone has put ornaments on a tree alongside the road or if they're out in front of a building. But all those are um, really important aspects. And so, Kyle, I, I do have a, I do have an ag an ag related question for you today. Do you know from in terms of Christmas tree production, what the top states in the country are that produce Christmas trees? When you talked about the topic at hand, I was I was concerned you were going to bring with me some some fact. And I was trying to research a little bit and I was kind of like knowing Seth, there's no way I'm going to know what curveball is coming at me this week for an ag statistic, which is your forte. So no, I do not know. <laughs> I did not come up with a good, uh, what, what Seth's thinking about this week for ag statistics. So what do you have for us today? I actually kept it pretty simple. So the two states with the highest total of Christmas tree production in the United States are Michigan and Wisconsin. And between those two states, they, they generate about 75% of the live Christmas trees that are grown across the country. And then at one time, Colorado and North Carolina were really big players in the Christmas tree industry. But as consumer as consumer shifts or consumer trends have focused, it has uh, Michigan and Wisconsin have reemerged as far and away the two biggest Christmas tree production states in the country. I can tell you that there are 850 Christmas tree growers in Michigan alone. And the biggest counties are actually one of the counties that I live in and work in right now. So we have about a half a dozen Christmas tree farms. But one of the Christmas tree farms also produces small seedlings for the biggest Christmas tree farm in, in the state. And they uh, then they obviously disperse those trees throughout the country. The cool thing about Christmas trees is, uh, first off, I'm an advocate for live Christmas trees from day one. Christmas trees take about seven years to grow before that you while they're in a bed. Uh, before in a field, I should say, before they are eligible to be, uh, or they're tall enough, I guess, mature enough to take into um, households. So anywhere from seven to 10 years is about how long the average Christmas tree actually grows. And then they actually start to harvest those sometime around late October, a lot of times. So they wait for those trees to go dormant. And what that means is essentially those trees fall asleep for the winter. They go into hibernation mode. And that's because of the climate. And it's no different than when trees lose their leaves uh, in the fall of the season. Christmas trees just go into a phase called dormancy. And so people go through, they cut those trees, and they bale them up into a more uh, uh, a product that's easier to, to, to transport. And then they transport them all over the country. So that's how people can have live Christmas trees in some of our southern states, especially Florida, Arizona, and places like that. That's amazing, Seth. There's so much more that goes into all this. We we tend to just think Christmas trees show up in our living room and we get them at the store. And there's so much more backstory to our, to it than than we realize. That you know, as we wrap up today, I was just thinking about a couple key points that that I'm definitely going to take home that. This winter and the anticipation of Christmas, it's a good time to meet and to conference with people of not always that's just in your industry. I also think, Seth, 
brought up some really good tactics to do when you are having full weeks with people, because depending on your personality, you do, you do kind of run hard with people or you're laid back with people either way. You, you need some tactics to be, and I thought you brought up some really good points of staying healthy, working out, hydration, and then just being careful how much food you intake at those, at those meetings just to keep you fresh, especially for that afternoon. And then the main point that I think is the most important that we all need to be concerned with is food insecurity and the statistic that you brought up of one in five that don't always know where their next meal is coming from. And so as we come to Christmas time, I think that that was a big take home for me of, of how this all, the anticipation of looking into 2022 and the celebration of the end of 2021, what can we do? What can you personally do? Maybe you could bring a basket of food to a neighbor. I don't know what that is in your life, but it, it really... I want to just thank you for making me think a little deeper, bringing that statistic up. When, when we look at a lot of these important issues in within agriculture and um, humanity, I think that the compassion that we can show one another is always really important. But then at the same time, I think that we really need to respect each other's differences in an effort to try to gain a perspective as to where, what angle that we are all taking and coming from, because we are all shaped by our life experiences and we can never, we can never walk our walk in the shoes of some of our new, new acquaintances or new friends. But as long as we have a compassion and a respect for one another, and then at the same time, we can drive and build positive and constructive relationships. I think that that's really important. And then really, I think having having a genuine interest in one another's company. And as Kyle mentioned, whether that be through conferencing or whether that be through um, having conversations around a kitchen table, uh, I think that that's really important. And th these, those are reasons why the conversations around Kyle's and my kitchen table and around the kitchen table podcasts are absolutely critical and crucial. It's because we want to create those relationships with other individuals we want to sprinkle in ag facts and we want to have, we want to talk about certain sectors of the industry, but more importantly, we want to have the opportunity to, to hear from you and to listen to you and to listen to some of the differences and, and have those critical and hard conversations sometimes. But more importantly, we want to show an authenticity and a compassion for not only an industry, but for certainly the people that reside within the United States and then even globally. And we want to create opportunities to create a more or to have a more successful country and and more successful population and really try to not work within glass or within silos or have glass ceilings. And we want to be able to burst through those. And we feel like we're having that with one kitchen table conversation at a time. And we certainly want to encourage all of you to join us with in future episodes, of the kitchen table podcast. I know that Kyle's been doing, been on the speaking tour in Kansas and, and then obviously in Nebraska here in the last couple of weeks. And I've had a little bit of a whirlwind and feel free to drop us a message. If there's a chance that one of our listeners want to speak with us in person, by all means, we, we look for those opportunities too. And, and it may create a good opportunity for all of us to converse around a different size or different shape of a kitchen table. And uh, sincerely, all, there's always a seat for everyone here at our kitchen table. And we really look forward to hearing from you. 
And until next week, we want to wish you a happy and a healthy work week. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy one another's company. Thank you.